This is SciBite, episode 98, for June 18th, 2013. And welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, fresh Tuesday mornings and live over jblive.tv, and then available for download Wednesdays over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. All right, so uh, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at a rule-breaking exoplanet, non-toxic cancer therapy supplements, Hidden Antarctic Mountains, a new astronaut class, story updates, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. That sounds like a fantastic lineup, and in fact, a couple of those stories, the chat room I know has a particular interest in because they were talking about them during the pre-show, so let's kick things off with the news. Okie doke, where are we going to start tonight? Mysterious exoplanets that try to break our rules, <laughs> that we make up, okay. trying to ma- understand what they're doing. <laughs> so we have all these theories about how planets form. And we look out there, we're like, all right, everything is flowing like this. So you have a star, you have this you know, disk of dust and all that kind of stuff. From the rotation, it, the big ball of dust and stuff flattens out into is, you know, a pancake-looking thing. And then slowly but surely, the, you know, by our theories, you know, dust particles make rocks, rocks make boulders, boulders make, and so on, and so on, and so on. And then in those, you start to see, if you're looking far away, you can see a gap in the clouds. And that's where a, a planet has started to suck up all the things around it. So sort of clearing a path around that area. So we're looking out, we see, hey, there's a gap in this cloud. That's probably where a planet is, except... If it is the size we think it is, which is small, by small we mean 6 to 28 Earth masses, um, but if it's there, it really shouldn't be there, quote-unquote. So, it's really weird because if, because of where it is, it is really far out there. It is, uh, t- I forget how many times, about twice the distance that Pluto is from the sun. So it's far out there. The star is about 176 light years away, but it's fairly young. Um, The astronomers believe Jupiter probably took about 10 million years to form at its distance, which is, you know, quite a bit closer than Pluto, let alone twice the distance of Pluto. So the planet near this star, by math, should take about 200 times longer to form. And the star is a little over half as massive as our sun, and it's fairly young. But this planet is there. It's What it is essentially means it's it's formed much, much faster than we think it should. And so they're really investigating other ways that it could have been formed. Like, okay, well, if it's um, a rogue... Uh, sorry, Blue Phoenix in the chat room says a rogue planet trapped. That's kind of what I thought at first, too. They're going for other theories like, could it be um, some sort of more natural internal 
a process where it was, could you have some sort of um, collapse, a direct, direct collapse theory? Right. Was there some sort you, of environment around it that made it accelerated? Maybe like did uh, something collapse and then it sucked all that up or? Yeah. Well, maybe a bunch of the matter um, kind of collapsed upon itself and to form this planet. But it's mm, okay. not really big. It would it would really require something Jupiter size ish. Um, to for that to be more plausible, and this planet is about at at max twenty eight Earths, twenty eight, and Jupiter is like three hundred and eighteen Earths. <laughs> Plus the the dust in that gap, from what we can see, what we're guessing is still smaller than a grain of sand. Like all the stuff there is incredibly small, and if it had been able to conglom up together enough for a planet then why would the rest of it you'd expect something else in that orbit to be chunky rather than finer than sand hmm. so gravitational instability you know that kind of a thing but even then it would be it could you know, in that where it was the case, then it could be a few thousand years instead of a million years. But they're really trying to look at this and go, hmm, what's this doing here? It's not in the location we think it should be. It's happened not in the time frame that we should think it should be. So it's thinking outside the box and trying to figure out where we can jam it into our current theory or how to hammer out our current theory to hmm. fit this planet in it. It's Project Genesis. That's what it is. That's why it's faster. Somebody came along oh, okay. and they uh, they shot it with Project Genesis. And uh-huh. then uh, Carol Marcus came on here and said, Genesis is life from lifelessness. You see, Heather? So that's, that explains it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Science is a questioning look on its face right now. Hey, Star questioning Trek. kind of sad. Every time I bring up Star Trek, it turns out I'm right. It's just, I'm just going to point that out. Okay. I haven't been wrong yet. But... Uh, yeah, so Blue Phoenix, maybe our math is wrong. Um, that sounds more plausible, I suppose. Possible, but if the math is wrong and what we're doing, then it would still be... It's the same math that we use for everything else. Right. So if what we're looking at is you know, 75% off, everything else we're looking at is also 75% off. Right. So it was sort of scale. Scaling, it should be about the same-ish. I mean comparatively so we'll see what they decide on this whether it was or whether they'll stay questioning for a while longer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well yeah so. i mean maybe they'll maybe we'll find the answers lie somewhere in between but i think it's i think it's always kind of interesting to watch them kind of come across these and go oh well crap <laughs> yeah that's always fun where the they're like sweet excellent everything's going our way wait what yeah what are yeah. you doing here you've messed up everything yeah, we got to work on that warp drive. We'll go get a close-up investigation of things, and we'll figure it out. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, uh, any other thoughts on that story? I'll have to see where this one goes. Absolutely. All right, then. Let's take a quick second here. I want to uh, give a plug for not only the affiliate links that we often mention over the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, which you can find at the bottom of that said website. We have them down there for Amazon and eBay, and for the Netflix, the new egg, the Think Geek, the Best Buy, the Audible, which is awesome. And we also have these Chrome and Firefox extensions, and I just want to make uh, 
uh, a little uh, plea that everybody go check the status of their extension because sometimes it can get turned off. So if you go down there, you click on the extensions, and then we have them for Chrome and Firefox, and then you just pow, you add that extension to your browser, and then it'll automatically flag your shopping session when you browse at our affiliates. Uh, the, in, in Chrome, it's quite nice. You get a little icon that shows up in the toolbar to let you know when it's active and working. And then you can always toggle it off, I suppose, if for some reason you wanted to. But I just want to remind folks to go check them, make sure it's still enabled. You might have had it for a while, but every now and then, an update to a browser can sometimes disable a plugin. Uh, we always keep our plugins up to date, but it's always good to just double check and make sure it's still working. We got an email from Newegg, and they said, we haven't seen as many purchases lately. What happened? And we thought, well, maybe we should remind folks to make sure the extension's still working. So uh, that's just our friendly reminder to keep us going. You help pay the uh, Jupiter Broadcasting Network costs and help uh, defray some of the other additional expenses we have, including Heather. Tomorrow, I have some brand new hardware arriving in studio. Ooh. Could be a, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big tech week for the Jupiter. Oh, wow. Yeah, a tech week, Heather, as they call it. And, uh, hey, I know those uh, extensions work for me because science has a bad memory sometimes. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it, right? You get the so, extension, you don't have like, to worry about it. I like make the order. I'm like, no. <laughs> now I feel like canceling the order and making it again. No, you see, do the extension. Instead, you don't have to worry about it. The extension backs me up. Sometimes I go to a family member's house and I say, hi, I'm not here to really visit. I just need to install an extension on your computer. I install and then I get the heck out of there. I get the heck out of there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> all right, Heather. Well, with that all done, let's move on to the news bite. Kind of has a Superman sound to it a little bit. I think I got yeah. Superman on the on the brain. But uh, what are we talking about in the news bite? We're looking at non-toxic cancer therapy supplements. So a research team has actually found that a combination of some non-toxic dietary and hyperbaric oxygen therapy actually increases survival time for, um, in mice that they've tested for aggressive metastatic cancer. So this is the kind of cancer that spreads, it's, uh, you know, hooks in other places, and it's really not good. So mm. they're looking at these, it's the ketogenic diet and the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And these are both non-toxic therapies but they're not replacements. By the way, stupid broadcasting is sci Do not pretend to be your doctor. That's Should right. you decide to make any sort of medical decision, please consult them. So, so this is a combination of yes. diet and uh, and a chamber, like a uh, like yeah, a hyper, the, hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, ketogenic diet is it's where it's specific. It's I believe no to little carbs, uh, moderate proteins, and high, proper high fatty acids or fats. I forget exact, the exact right. combination. It shares some similarities to the paleo diet, only uh, some differences yeah. too. And no sugar. No sugar is a big thing. It's, yeah. I think it's about, it's, it refers to uh, the uh, ketogenic state your body goes into yeah. after, after being on it for a while, which sort of forces your body into uh, a different mode of operation, if I understand correctly. Yeah, to burning... Uh, fatty acids and glucose into energy. So it's kind of changing the power source of your body, trying to power yourself off of that kind of thing. And it's it's actually kind of weird because it goes off in different locations about what it's good for looking at it was strange. But hyperbaric oxygen therapy is just kind of like it sounds. Think of the scuba divers when they're coming up from really deep depths and they hop in the little chamber and it's high oxygen, for this case, like 80% at least oxygen, um, 80 to 
So you have high oxygen and then it's under pressure. So what it's doing is it's essentially squeezing the oxygen molecules tinier so that they can go in and really flood your body with lots of oxygen. So it can get more into the nooks and crannies of everything and hyper-oxygenate everything. So you're getting a whole bunch of oxygen into your system and moving that forward. You're kind of switching how your body is burning things and putting it into a different state. The combination of these is actually sort of helping protect healthy tissue and um, damaging the cancer cells, actually. Because the oxygen, um, solid tumors are generally in areas of low oxygen. So if you have 100% oxygen, then it's sort of drowning out the tumors. So you can drown them out. You can kick up the, you know, the power of the healthy cells. So it's this combination of the two. They had hmm. you know, this big mouse it, study. Yeah, it says in the article for the mouse study that the... Uh... They had, you know, mice that were having carbohydrate standard to heavy meals, and they had mice that were on the uh, that were on the keto diet, and uh, that the mice that were on the uh, ketogenic diet had a set lived seventy eight percent longer than the mice fed the standard or high carbohydrate diet. Yeah, they with the combination, it was one of the two. Both did a little bit better, but when you combined the two, right, then it. Really increase everything. So this well, is one should I be have, should should I be? I mean, it, it it raises a very interesting question in the role that diet plays in in cancer cancer prevention, possibly. Yeah, well, it's there's a lot of things that we're learning about diet and various times we've talked inside bite over the last couple of weeks and over the last few you know months for the entire time of the show. It's everyone else. something comes up where they're like, "Hey, this thing, little item in food B." We found does this when you really concentrate or something and it's natural so hooray thumbs up science for the win but so yeah so you're but i mean if you think about it your food is that silly little song you are what you eat but <laughs> yeah it's true though isn't it that's the first thing that pops into my head all the time it is absolutely but, true actually but uh, if you and can, it, it makes me wonder if i should uh uh get more serious about my diet again yeah I, I know that feeling. I had a but slice of strange. pie tonight before the show. I'm feeling very guilty right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Slice of cherry pie. I know that feeling. I'm like, look, you look at something, you're like, I'm going to feel guilty if I eat that. Yeah. I'm going to feel guilty if that, oh, I ate it. I feel yeah, guilty. I do. I feel it was so good, but, though. But yeah, this specific diet was very strange. In fact, it's generally being used for uh, epilepsy disorders, for specifically uh, children who are drug resistant. They're put on this and it actually drops huh. seizure rates by. I don't know, up to half, up to 50% or something like that. So there, it's a very interesting diet in all the different things it does. It's interesting. I know there's some places around the world that have oxygen bars where you go up and yep. you actually enjoy a little a feed of oxygen for a little yeah. while. Well, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is used for a number of different things as well for um, wounds that won't heal or taking a long time to heal. They're even looking at it for all sorts of random things. Um, some people are saying... That it's helping their kids with autism to communicate better. Jeez, or really? So there are a number of different uh, disorders and diseases and conditions that they're using hyperbaric oxygen therapy for to kind of help. And no there are a number idea. of different things where the ketogenic diet works. And just so happens that 
they were looking at the combination of these two also helps significantly sort of back up cancer therapy. That's really cool. I had I had no idea. I mean, I guess I've heard of these chambers and I've heard they've been used. I just didn't realize the range that they uh, provide. Very yeah. interesting stuff. Any other thoughts on that? No, I, I, I kind of like it when these non-toxic things can really help aid. Yeah. Yeah. Things therapy. like this that just make you uh, stronger and healthier are with without these side effects are awesome. Heather has links with more information about that. Just go look for the News Bite section of the show notes and you can find the links. To, uh, and also a YouTube video of a presentation about it, too which looks pretty good. All right, Heather, with that filed, let's move on then to the 2-Byte News. All right, all right. right. Got a new band in here. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I only have to pay them in hot dogs. So, yes. All right, what are we talking about first in the 2-Byte News? All righty, we have some buried Antarctic mountains out there. So, underneath the Antarctic sheet, there's actually mountains and ground that all this ice is stacked on top of. Yeah. We kind of know that, but sometimes it kind of slips out your memory that, oh yeah, there's things like there, and there are giant mountains underneath there. And so, there's one, the British Antarctic Survey, Bedmap 2, used millions of new measurements that they've had from um, looking at surface elevation, ice thickness, bedrock topography all these sort of things to kind of over the last couple of decades to really put together. And this was much higher definition than we've had before. And out of that actually came some mountains that we didn't know were there. We're like, oh, we didn't realize that those mountains were there or this looked like that. So it's a lot of it used what they called uh, a NASA program called Operation Ice Bridge. Sends out airplanes, fly over the continent, and they're equipped with lasers. And they can measure... The surface mountain heights, uh, they can use ice-penetrating radar that helps map the subglacial bedrock to kind of give the 3D feel for it. And uh, in the show notes, you can click on the story, and it has this really awesome picture where (laughs) you can slide it back and forth, and you can see this is what it is, all ice, and then slide it over. This is what the mountains look like underneath. I find when I slide it away, uh, it looks like a primitive planet like there's been like this area of the earth that has just been frosted over and preserved from the the early days of, mm-hmm. of primitive earth because it looks so smooth when you have the when you have all the snow over but when you pull it away it's it's rocky it's jaggedy it's it's old looking yeah. but yeah, it, it, it looks like that's probably exactly what it would look like if the snow melted it, it seems very accurate yeah. just looking at it yeah, it's funny. I said I noticed the little blue bar in the middle. That's a big picture with a blue bar in the middle, and you can grab onto it and drag it left or right yeah. to show you. And I sat there and I was like, "Wait, drag? Oh, cool!" And it's back and forth, and you're kind of like slowly but surely like looking at all the different little mountains. You're like, "Yep, <laughs> yep. I can see the ice on top of that one. Yep. I can see the ice on top of that one." So they really want to look at the mountains underneath, not just because it is awesome and we get to see a really cool picture, um, but they're looking at to know the kind of the shapes of the mountains and the rocks to model how fast ice moves across those features, in fact. Mm. So for some, you know, for some times it's like, okay, well, how's it moving? How's it melting? You know, what are all the interactions of everything going on anywhere, everywhere? But can I get a beachfront property right here when this area melts? That's what I'm looking at. Um, if you're looking at that kind of melting, 
that you're looking at the mountains in Antarctica. Well, no, I'm looking at the waterfront property here, or maybe something in the bay. There's a nice bay area over here on the right side yeah, of the I'm image. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if all that ice was gone, that bay might not be a bay. Right. Good point, Heather. Good point. Not planning may ahead. Have a, we may have other issues. That's why they sold it to me for so cheap. Yes. <laughs> they ripped you off. If only you'd, if only you'd come to, to science. Right. Well, see, I bought on Monday, and uh, we have the show on Tuesdays. So, lesson learned. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. Very cool. I like that we have ice penetrating radar too, which makes sense. Yeah. But that is neat. You guys can find the link to play with that slider in the show notes. Uh, we have uh, an update for a, a new title of astronaut, right? Yes, some new astronauts. The first uh, class in two or three years, actually. Oh. So the a- NASA astronaut class. So the. We don't have the space shuttle, but oddly enough, it was the second largest number of applicants that they have ever received. More than like 6,100. <laughs> so their kind of goals is, well, this group might be among the first to ride the commercial spacecraft to the space station. So as we've kind of been seeing where um, SpaceX and Virgin Galactic and them are looking to, you know, SpaceX had the, you know, cargo missions up there. So they're looking to, you know, bring astronauts up there. And other com- private commercial entities are looking at that too. So these core of astronauts might be among the first to kind of ride that commercial spacecraft. And then NASA waves its hands and in hopes and prayers and says, maybe we'll even go to asteroids or to Mars. And I say that in a hopefully kind of laughing way because I, <sighs> I wish, I wish... They hadn't squashed that fish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we'll we'll see. I, I I can maintain hope. I will maintain hope, but you never eight know. astronauts. So and of course they have to be all very uh very uh, smart and even. Four guys, four girls. Oh yeah, yeah. So they, ha- they must be fat evenly. But you know, there's a number of uh, there's a medical doctor. There's a couple. There's a couple of PhDs. There's quite a number of various commanders and lieutenant commanders and. Um, in the in the Marine Corps, in the Navy, in the Navy, in the Air Force, so you can find uh, their rundown and a link to more information about them in the uh, show notes. Hmm. Gal, one of those gals' last name is Mir, like the uh, like the Russian uh, station. Uh, M E I R. Yeah, so I know. Almost kind of. It is though, close enough. I just thought it was yep. a quinky dink. That's all. Yep. Josh had. A. Casada, PhD. Victor G. Glover, Lieutenant Commander, U.S. Navy. Tyler Haig, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Air Force. Christina Hemick. Uh, Nicole uh, Anupa Manal. So I'm butchering astronauts' names yeah. right now. That's all right. You know what? They, we put them in the show notes. People can just read them however they want in their in their mind, you know, and then they can make it. That's their mistake, not ours. Exactly. Yeah. In your brain, it's not for mispronounced. You don't have to tell anybody which, how, how bad you get it in your brain. Yes. Unless you do a silly podcast. Well... <laughs> Then you start saying names, and you're like, why did you start saying names? Yep. <laughs> I know it. That's uh, every day for me, Heather. Well, uh, good news. We've got a few stories that have uh, leveled up. We've got some updates. What is our update? That is right on SciBite 96, just a couple of episodes ago. I remember that. Uh, yes, we talked about this crowdfunded telescope where it was, they had it on um, where everyone, can, you know, you donate and it's going to be in the in space and it'll be funded by the people. So they had it where it's going to be, it's planetary resources and their hope is sort of 
um, spy out asteroids for possibly mining and things like that. But then they're do also doing it so that if you donate, you know, so much money, then they have a little screen on the teles on the little telescope. This is a really tiny thing; could fit on your kitchen table. A couple of them could fit on your kitchen table, depending on your kitchen table size. Um, so it has a little screen on it, and then have a little camera. So if you pay like so much money, your your picture can be displayed on the screen, and then it'll take a picture of your picture on a telescope in space. They call them selfies. Oh, I, somebody, I, I somebody in the chat room says they already got theirs. I guess that's not too bad. I mean, so, so I guess you could put a picture of yourself on there. Yes. All right. Okay. You can picture yourself. Now I'm digging uh, that no. a little bit. It, and if it's a high res picture and they got the contrast settings just right, so that way it's totally seeable, and then I can set that as my profile profile picture. Yeah. Of course, there's like varying levels of. If you buy this, you get this. I think if you buy, donate on a much higher level, you get like really HD and framed and all that kind of stuff. But they got so close, pretty fairly quickly, that they said, "Hey, that was for a million. If we reach 2 million, which is double its original goal, they're actually going to improve its stability systems and look for exoplanets, much like Kepler is doing or was oh, doing. Oh, it just needs a steady hand, and then it could do yeah, that, Yeah, huh? it needs a much steadier hand. It wouldn't be on the scale, but it would right. still look for transiting, so it would still be looking in the dip in star's brightness, and it would look for it in that way and also... Um, Gravitational microlensing, which is sort of how you find them by measuring how the gravity of the star and its planets distorts the light from things behind it. Wow. So those, that kind of is a little more, very, more seldom. But the fact that they're going to be able to look for it, um, you know, transiting things. So they said, hey, this is, this is our main goal. We're pretty close to that. So, hey, guys, if you want to do this, if you want to, you know, you can help fund something that'll help take up the gap where Kepler, where Kepler, it, where Kepler yeah. has uh, stepped down, possibly. That's kind of amazing then, that we can even do that a little bit. Yeah. So, so then they say, you know, if we get close to that, then there's two other lofty goals that we have. Um, you know, they're saying if we can raise so much money, we'll build a different ground station with an educational partner. So they got close enough. That they're saying, hey guys, we've got all these other ideas too. Donate up to this amount of money and look at all the different things we can do. But the fact that they said, hey, exoplanet research guys, this will be cool. So. Yeah. Hmm. That is really kind of, now I've kind of gone from skeptic to pretty impressed actually. I I really want to, I still am. I've got like one foot in skeptical pants. Yeah. Until like it gets really much closer to actually yeah. going up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to. You've got to. But you can. He's starting to get a little more hopeful, I suppose. Uh, all right. Well, we got another update, and it's a, it's an important one regarding Lego. Yes, Lego. Way back in August on Cyber Fifty Nine, I talked about how there's a Lego Kusu group, and what it is, it's Lego has this thing where it says, "Hey, everybody." Come up with your own Lego design and, you know, upload it to the community. And if you get, it gets 10,000 votes, then you can get up into the next level. And we'll actually look at all those and see what we think. And one user designed a model that looked like Rover, the Mars Rover Curiosity. Like, even had, like, 
the rocker bogey wheels, like the wheel suspension, like it is. This is now. This is a guy who actually had worked um, with on one of the Curiosity teams, so he was actually, you know, an engineer who worked on this kind of stuff. And so he built it. He actually also made like a sky crane, the distant the, where it, you know lowered Curiosity down into the crater, the jetpack. Um, <laughs> that was sort of as an add-on. Hey, look at this. But Lego has actually approved of the rover now. They said, hey, it's got our final stamp of approval. We're going through the process of getting it ready for publication to the public. They don't have a specific date or availability or pricing. So that's still in production. But it is the second one to actually have a space theme. Hmm. Um, They've had a uh, a Japanese uh, Hayaguba... Hayabusa asteroid sampling probe was also there, but the Curiosity rover can be a Lego set now. And I will, yes, I will very much wish for that. And I cannot wait to see what price it is. Would you buy I it? Cannot wait. I would want to buy it so much. You would want me, to buy it. Me it, and my bank account will have a discussion. Oh, do you think it's going to be really expensive? Um, It's just a Lego toy, right? Yeah, some of these sets are 75 to 100 bucks. Oh. Um, so my guess is it might be in that range. Oh. Off the top of my head, I'd say 50 to 75. I like that uh, all of the uh, product shots, by the way, just from my point of view, they're all on green screen. So you could just, you could green screen the sucker right onto Mars. It looked like, yeah. oh, they do. They do in the video. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if you watch the, yeah, okay. the video. <laughs> That's what then, I would do. That's what I'd want to build one just to do that. Yes. And then all of us can either... We can look at the video and we can be like, look at the boxes in the store and be like, I want you. Mm-hmm. And we will all wish for it together. Well, you never know, Heather. Maybe Santa will put one under your tree for Christmas. <laughs> Maybe Santa will visit us all. Right. Well, while we're, great. While we're talking about the Curiosity rover, maybe we should talk about the real thing. What do you say we head over to Mars and do a Curiosity update? Are you ready? I'm ready. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Is that covered up in the dirt? Uh, yeah. All right. So, how is cool. Curiosity? It's going pretty good. We have the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about doing all the different uh, drilling that it's been doing. Some of the science. Now it's kind of buttoning up and turning on, ready to go on a road trip to mm. its next location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be a couple of you know science stops along the way, depending on what we uh what they see but right now we're kind of in in that kind of a mode road okay. trip mode road trip but, mode huh yep we're in road trip mode now this road so trip is a little differently in that it can carry some stuff this time uh right? yes they yep they talked about last week how they made a whole bunch of the drillings and they have some of the dirt and the dust and this time they have it in the scoop and they can actually start driving and they're still holding it in the scoop in case they want to do some more testing they can um uh, Study that a little bit more. But at this point, they kind of stopped and said, hey, guys, you guys have been asking us about all the different cameras we have. Oh, yeah. See all the different beautiful images that we're all very jealous that we don't get to see in person. Well, maybe some of us are. Um, So quick rundown on those. It actually has 17 cameras. (laughs) So there's the black and white images. Most of those black and white images actually come, or grayscale, as I say, is just for object detection. 
they can see, you know, just a rover, basic engineering, looking around. It says if there's a rock there, it needs to make sure it doesn't hit a rock. It doesn't need to see the rock in color. It just needs to know that the rock is there. Uh, so it's, it's one of its eyes. It's eyeball. Yeah, so it's eyeballs. And there's, you know, one uh, different megapixel cameras that are going on. So they have the one of the cameras that it has doesn't really use anymore is the descent imager. Mm. Way back when it landed, you used to have that um, video of it of it coming down into the kind of landing onto the surface of Mars. Right. They so had that one. It's got one camera mounted on the end of its arm that takes all the close-up high-res photos. So it reaches out and you know puts its little arm onto a rocket and take a really high-res picture of something. It's got the the hazard avoid- avoidance cameras, those are the real black and whites, just looking four in the front and four in the back, just kind of making sure it sees where all the wheels are, where all the rocks are right around it. They've got, obviously, the mass cam up top on the uh, on the mast, as you might guess, taking all the color images that we get to see. And those are mainly the ones that we're really jealous about. Yeah, those are uh, the good-looking ones. The you know navigational cameras. There's a remote microscopic imager, the ChemCam works with the ChemCam laser. So there's all these sorts of different cameras that are doing all these different things going on. And so people are like, well, yeah, but video too. Well, video takes up a lot of size. And they mm-hmm. only have so much downlink time every day. I've noticed this in my own professional dealings. Yes. So they go, well, let's see. We only have this much bandwidth. We're going to take up a whole bunch of pictures instead. So... You have all these different things where they're putting putting them together and they make the panoramas pretty much just like most of us do where you snap a picture, turn your head a little, snap a picture, turn your head a little. And it's the same thing where they have the, uh, you know, the self-portraits without the arm. It's because they take the panorama, um, sort of put your arm so it's bent in a down ways <laughs> towards the ground and they take the panorama that way. <laughs> and then they move their arm the other way so the elbow right. is pointing up and take the panorama that way. And so they can kind of stitch on top of each other and make the arm, quote unquote, disappear like magic. So there is not a conspiracy. There's not somebody that we could all be jealous of wandering around behind the rover taking pictures. No, that's the Martians. Oh, that's the Martians? And we haven't paid off the Martians. Well, they just don't speak English. Uh They're talking to the Russians all the time from what I understand. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess they speak Russian. I don't know. Well, Strasbourg's the Martians. (laughs) You know Martians, Heather. You know Martians. I do. We are a crazy race. Oh, right. Uh, what? Uh, so, Rover. Yes. Doing Rover things. Yes. <laughs> well, Heather, I want to know when it's going to get to its final destination and produce some uh, some final, you know, whiz-bang results. Now that it's done with its main mission, it's on to the extraordinary, oh. right? It's going to be on yeah. to the, well, the... Yeah, you're referring to the fact that the whole point was to see... Do we have, is the possibility of life there? Was it there at any time? Yeah. Or it had an environment? Yep. And we've already seen, yes, checkmark, yeah. we've seen that. Yeah. So that in that way, yes, then everything can go uphill and be sunshine and lollipops and frosting and mm. cherries on the cake and all that Whoa. kind of stuff. But Whoa. Boy. Talking yeah. about getting away from the ketogenic diet. Holy smokes. Yes. Well, well that's what Mars does to you. Should we? But, uh, so, huh? Go ahead. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll, the road trip will be quite a while. It'll be a number of months, but there'll definitely be science spots along the way. So, Well, speaking of road trips, I believe we have quite a road trip this evening. Yes. In fact, I've even fueled up the time machine 
specifically like, for this trip because you warned me ahead of time. I don't know where we're going, but you yes. warned me you said get the thing yes. fueled up. All right, Heather, jump in. Here we go. Okay. Just sing Okay, all right. Boy, we almost used a whole tank. Jeez Louise, I don't know how we're going to get back. This one takes us to 2,253 years ago. What happened this week in science, Heather? The year 240 BC. Yes, June 240 BC. The history page that I'm looking, that I get my kind of information from says June 18th. But as far as we know, in 240 BC, I'm not quite sure that people were writing down our date. Like, this was done on Wednesday. (laughs) I don't know if they were take, using the same yeah. kind of notes we yeah, are. Yeah. But, so, the Greek astronomer and mathematician actually estimated the circumference of the Earth. So, he wow. was the director of the Great Library of Alexandria. And he'd read in a papyrus book that <laughs> in scene, one of the, not like I've seen something, but S-Y-E-N-E is a location, that on noon of summer solstice, the longest day of the year, the shadows of the temple grew much shorter. And at noon, absolutely gone. So the sun was directly overhead. But he stuck a stick where he was in Alexandria, far to the north. And he saw, on that same day, he saw a shadow. So he said, hmm, well, that means that the surface of the earth is not flat. It must uh-huh. be curved. Uh-huh. Not only that, that the greater the curvature, the greater the distance the shadow would be. So by measuring... The, dis- the distance between where he was and the shadow link that he had and the distance between where no shadow was, he started estimating the circumference of the earth from that. And by, depending on the, the actual units of measurements he was using, I've seen anything from 1.6% off to up to 25% off. Hmm. But even then, like, I want you to go out in your front yard tomorrow and put a stick in the ground and say, I'm measuring the shadow and I'm going to estimate the circumference of the earth. No, I don't think so. Based purely off that. Pretty impressive. He was he so, was pretty ahead of things for uh, 2,200 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It makes you wonder, like, uh, wonder how many other people had figured it out, but we never got to hear the story. Because he yeah. might not be the only one. He's just the only one we got documented. Yes. All right. Well, let me recalibrate the side by 2000. This is a very special process, so that way we can look up into the sky this week. That's right. On Wednesday, June the 19th, during the twilight, look to the west. You'll see Mercury and Venus really close together, only about two degrees. Or that's two pinky widths at arm's length apart. Now, Mercury will be uh, the one to the lower left, and Venus is obviously the much brighter of the two. So, on Thursday, June the 20th, Midsummer's Night. Yes, much like Shakespeare's Midsummer's Night's <laughs> Dream. It is the shortest night of the year on Thursday. On Saturday, June the 22nd, we have the largest full moon of 2013. Don't believe the doom and gloom you see on Facebook and or your uncle's cousin's email saying the moon is going to smash into the earth. No, it only means that they call it a supermoon in little quotes, air quotes. That just means it is closest point it's going to be closest to the earth but that means it's only like seven percent larger in diameter and that's on saturday yes on saturday so don't fear sounds like a good day to view the moon yes very good day to view the moon and have no fear the seven percent bigger that you may see does not mean it's smashing into us 
So in this week in general, like I said, on we've got Mercury and Venus to the west-northwest over there. Just a couple of pinky finger widths apart. Uh, and Mars and Jupiter right now are still hiding in the glare of the sun. So they're totally slacking off. <laughs> what are Mars and Jupiter doing? Saturn, however, is being a trooper in the evenings. Look to the south, the southwest, and you'll be able to see it. Slightly dimmer than Saturn will be the star Spica. So to uh, its uh, upper, to its um, lower, to its right or lower right, about a little greater than a fist arms, fist held at arm's length. Okay. So they're a little more than a fist apart um, over in the south to southwest. You'll be able to see Saturn being the brighter of the two, and then Spica, the star. Right, very good. And uh, that, uh, of course, is outlined in the show notes so people get lost. Yeah, Because it yes. can be a little hard to remember. Uh, but, our, but the thing I think that's going to stick out for me this week will be uh, the moon on Saturday. Yes. That sounds like that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. All right, Heather. Well, uh, I think that just about brings us to the end of this week's episode, doesn't it? I think so. All right. Don't forget, everyone, you can email us, scibite at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or just hit that contact link at the top of our website. You can follow Heather on Twitter over at JB underscore Mars underscore base. And join us live Tuesdays over at jblive.tv and go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get the latest times. All right, Heather, thanks for the great show. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>